Hello and welcome to another episode of the Monash Musculoskeletal Research Unit podcast. My name is Patrick Valance and I'll be your host. We're joined again by Dr. Dawson Kidgel, who kindly joined us recently. Uh, and today uh, we thought we'd set you loose and let you talk about periodization. Excellent. Thanks, Pat. Um, so obviously in a previous podcast, we talked about ways in which we could manipulate and manage sort of the training or the load volume management. Um, obviously, one productive way to ensure that there's progress in, in, I suppose, training outcomes or the stimulus that you're providing is to, to package that intensity and that volume over a series of weeks, which is basically what we call periodization. So um, really what periodization is, it's, it's, it's a pre-planned systematic variation in training specificity, um, which includes you know, manipulating the intensity and the volume of your training sessions into organized periods or cycles. And that fits within an overall program, if you like. So essentially what you're doing with periodization um, is you're manipulating the volume, the intensity and the frequency of training, um, which really underpins how you're going to manage the, um, the way in which you disperse the load volume across a cycle of um, exercise. could be rehabilitation, for instance. So if you take, you know, rehab of an ACL, you know, up to nine months, well, you've pretty much got nine months of, you know, exercise training to, to plan and organise, um, and you need to make sure you can manipulate how much, how hard and how often they're doing their exercises across that nine months. And that's basically what obviously periodization is. But I guess the most important thing to understand with periodization is understanding the, the performance time adaptation response um, or what we call the responses to, to, to training or, or training stress. So we basically have what's called the... Um, general adaptation syndrome or the gas response. And this was um, put forward by a guy called Hans Seeley, who, who noticed that you needed to apply a suitable stimulus to the body, induce an alarm phase. Um, so that, that would be the application of the stimulus that induces a level of fatigue. You then have a period of recovery and then you super compensate and then you apply that stimulus again. Um, so the three phases are what we call the alarm phase. Then you have the resistance phase and then you have what's called the exhaustion phase. So you want to avoid the exhaustion phase because you're giving too much volume and too much intensity too early. So you start to move into that inverted U hypothesis where we look at that dose-response relationship. Um, so the alarm phase is the stressor. It's the initial reaction to the stressor. This could simply be the load of the weight that you're lifting. Um, and then you have the resistance phase, which is the adaptive phase. So that's where you have an increased functional capacity to adapt to that stressor, which is essentially related to, particularly in terms of strength training, you have an increase in your motor unit recruitment and changes within your neuromuscular system. So what you really need to understand is, in terms of volume and intensity and frequencies, is what are we trying to do? How are we trying to package it? So if you look at volume um, in terms of our response to training or the training stress, Volume determines the magnitude of the adaptation. So, for instance, if you have high volume, the adaptation is going to be endurance. If you have lower volume um, with a higher load, you're going to have increase in, in sort of um, maximal strength. But when we look at volume um, purely sets by reps and look at the dose-response relationship, it's an inverted U hypothesis. 
So too low volume doesn't give you enough adaptive response and too high doesn't give you enough adaptive response as well because you're going into an overtraining status. So there's a sweet spot in the peak. So you need to be able to balance the volume. And the way we can balance this volume is by manipulating our volume across a training block um, because that's how we manage the magnitude of the adaptation. The other thing we want to manipulate is obviously the intensity. And now the intensity, so essentially how hard um, the training stress is, will determine the adaptation. So volume determines the magnitude, whereas intensity determines the adaptation. So higher intensity um, strength training is going to produce changes in maximal strength. Low intensity strength training is going to cause changes in muscular endurance, et cetera. Um, hypertrophy sort of fits in the middle, so sort of moderate intensity, but not really high intensity. So this is what we're trying to manipulate within our periodization model. And then the last one we want to manipulate is um, frequency. So frequency, I tend to say, is how we go about organising this adaptive stress. So, and this is really, really important because you can't keep stressing the tissue day in, day out. We need to manage this stress um, and we can do this by, by manipulating or spreading out our training based upon what we're doing with our volume and our intensity. So how often you'll provide that adaptive stress is based upon the intensity and the volume, um, which I'll talk about. But the way in which we can organise all of this is um, by understanding some really basic terminology within periodization. So we know periodization is a, is a block of training, um, but within that block of training, we break them down into cycles. Um, so for instance, a macro cycle is what we call a long-term plan of variable length. So it could be anywhere between one year to four years. So if you're involved with Olympic athletes, we typically set up a periodization model for four years because um, there's going to be certain times that we need to peak. Um, we have macro uh, mesocycles, um, which is basically a four to six week training block. So think about that macro cycle, depending on how long it's going, you'd have a series of mesocycles of up to six weeks. Um, so we call this an intracycle um, process where we can have a step load or a taper period. And then we have micro cycles, which are really, really important because these determine the content and the quality of the training sessions you're doing within a week. So a micro cycle is one week worth of training. So the key thing to, to figure out is, is, well, what constitutes the phases within a periodization model? Um, if you look at Matfiev's uh, model of periodization, which was, it's quite old. There's many different sorts of models nowadays. Um, this is probably the most simplest. And what he proposes is that when you're dealing with, with people on a long-term basis, let's just call it, say, 16 weeks or, or, or more, um, you need to break down your rehabilitation into sort of um, four phases, if you like. And the first phase is the prep phase or the preparation phase. And what we're really looking at here is, is that the volume of exercise that you're prescribing is slightly higher than what the intensity is. So we're looking at more quantity here, trying to build a base. And just remember that volume and that intensity can be guided by those things I talked about previously in terms of reps of reserve and RPEs and load volume velocity and things like that. And then within that, so that would be a mesocycle. 
that would be made up of those microcycles. So each microcycle would need to be slightly um, adapted week by week. So you're ensuring you're getting some overload. And what happens is as you move through um, that prep phase into what we call a transition phase, we start to increase the intensity, but we drop off the volume. So you're not doing as much work, but the intensity goes up. And then you move the athlete into what we would call a, a sport-specific or sport uh, or, or specific rehab phase where you're trying to return them back to function. Um, and that intensity goes up again, but the quantity of work or the volume of work goes down. And then you obviously keep them sustained at that level because you've gone through the whole process. So um, they're just very basic concepts around periodization and the way in which we can manage and block. Obviously, we can use different training methods. Um, so for instance, in the prep phase, in that first block, you might focus on um, strength endurance. And you might convert that strength endurance into general strength, so general strength of the musculoskeletal system. And then as you move towards that specific stuff, you convert that into the specific quality um, that that patient needs. So it might be maximal strength or it might be power. So typically what you would do is you would convert that general strength into maximal strength and then you'd then change, convert that into power and then you would hope to, to feel it, that the person's returned back to, to normal sort of capacity, I guess. Um, but that's just a quick snapshot on some basic concepts on, on periodization. That doesn't include how do you overload and progressively overload within those cycles. Um, but that's just a snapshot. There's some really nice concepts there that you've explored well. Um, uh, it was something I, I wanted to uh, ask you, and it might be a, a, an obvious question, but you're talking about uh, as you're working your way through those phases, through those mesocycles, um, you're starting with your, your higher volume, low intensity. Um, you move on to the next phase, that transition phase, and you're, um, you're, you're increasing your intensity, dropping your volume. Why, why wouldn't you just, uh, why wouldn't you keep, keep the volume higher keep, and, and then and increase the intensity? Yeah, so this is a, probably the biggest mistake people make. Um, it's the quality, not the quantity of training that counts. Um, and it's back going back to that proximity of failure that we talked about in the previous podcast. Um, increasing volume and simultaneously increasing intensity um, will lead to exhaustion and overtraining and probably injury. So what we tend to focus on is, is training one element at a time. You're either focusing on volume or you're focusing on intensity. You can't do both. Um, if you're dealing with super elite athletes, you can kind of get away with it a little bit. Um, but if you're dealing with um, just general population, you'll find that the residual fatigue will carry over um, and then you'll just go into a negative cycle. They won't be responding. They'll probably lose motivation. They probably won't be as accountable for their sessions. Um, but generally it's the intensity that's, that's the most important because remember I, I did say that, you know, intensity within this periodization model um, is really what um, governs the adaptation. So if that's what's determining the adaptation, we need to make sure that we're focusing on the intensity component and not necessarily the volume component at the same time because that will determine the magnitude. And it's quite simple. So think about the magnitude of adaptation is what volume does in the periodization model. If you increase the intensity, which is you know, determining the, the response, if you give too much of that, you're not going to actually get that response. So, for instance, if I'm training for maximal strength, I can't increase volume because all that's doing is increasing my load volume and I'm probably going to get hypertrophy or endurance. 
So you, it doesn't make sense to just on that principle. So making sure you've got that specific resistance training goal for every phase, but knowing that you can only have one goal. So you're being, you're, you're designing yeah. variables to be specific to that. Um, and that's the benefit of periodization. It allows you to focus in on one thing. And what you need to do clinically is if someone presents you with um, multiple things, you need to focus on the most important thing. And you'll, you'll find the secondary things will probably sort themselves out. Recognising as well that you need, uh, you touched on you needing that, that base. So uh, whether it be cross-sectional areas of working on hypertrophy training or having general strength before you then move to uh, maximal strength or power if, if they don't already have those bases to work from, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Reflecting on um, my, my own clinical work, uh, potentially skipping ahead a few steps at times there. So you know, building your base first. Um, so that's really interesting. Now, um, you mentioned uh, just before about uh, why we don't increase uh, intensity while keeping volume high as well. Um, how, how would you recognise, say you moved, you're moving from your, your prep phase, you're moving into the transition phase, um, you've dropped your volume down a bit. Uh, how do you recognise if you've dropped it enough uh we talked about auto regulation uh, a bit in the last podcast but would that be something you'd, you'd look to utilize there yeah absolutely so looking at repetitions in reserve any sort of velocity measure and rpe um and making sure you've got some information session by session on those readiness factors making sure that they're you know mentally ready to partake in that actual session um so one good thing about um I guess RPE is that we can actually use it quite nicely as a method um, to auto-regulate our volume as well um, throughout a periodized program. So what that basically means is that when you you write your periodization program, you'll have your exercises down. So whether it's squat, bench press, squat, bench press, deadlift, squat, bench press, deadlift, whatever the case may be, you allocate the repetitions that you want along with the RPE that you want. Um, so by doing that, the RPE will provide you with information about the relative drop off or increase in volume and intensity. Uh, something I, I just want to explore with you. So reps in reserve and RPE, why, why would you have the both of them there as opposed to looking at one or, or the other? Um, well, when we look at, well, historically reps in reserve came first. And if we're using it as a gauge of intensity, then everyone's familiar with RPE. Um, so historically, studies emerged using specific RPE scales for strength training and then correlating them to reps in reserve and felt that they were associated. Um, I think just from a programming perspective and controlling volume, knowing how much someone's done and how much they've got left, which would be reps in reserve, is a good indicator of how you can progressively overload. Um, whilst the RPE will give you an overall rating of the how hard the session is, which is obviously going to be taking into account the volume as well as the intensity. Um, so I think it's probably best to take both. They're easy enough to take and they're easy enough to prescribe. So you can go one step further in each cycle and prescribe the RPE level that you want as well. So it should all match up. And that way you know what's happening to your volume. And in that, that previous podcast, you mentioned that there were those really nice relationships those correlations between the two so you should expect that they would be close mm-hmm. as well and if yeah. they're not close then something's yeah. going wrong that's right that's right yeah yeah 
Um, and you touched briefly on progressive overload. Um, I I can't quite remember where I picked it up, but the, the two for two rule with reps in reserve is something I've used a fair bit in clinic. So that idea of two consecutive sessions where say I've set them um, eight, eight repetitions at two reps in reserve and for two consecutive sessions, they've got to, um, they, they've got to their eight and they've got more than that left. I, I bump up the weight um, by a small degree. Is that um, something you, you, you do or, or um, that you'd recommend or have you got other? Yeah, so um, basically the way in which you can progressively overload is either through a linear or undulating model. So I'll give an example. What you're doing is an example of a linear model. So basically you're prescribing a set amount of work, so sets and reps and load. If they reach that, then you're stepping them up to the next load, and then you're stepping them up to the next load, and then you're stepping them up to the next load, and you keep going in a linear direction, essentially. Now, linear loading is quite fine. Um, there's many ways in which you can do it. You can do like a three plus one or a two plus one. So you might step them up for two progressive overloads, drop them down to 60%, you know, in week three of what the first load was, and then you super compensate them. So there's many ways in which you can do it, or you could undulate it. Whereas if you're seeing your person on a Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, you could make Monday like sort of a lower intensity, more volume, then, you know, the Wednesday could be high intensity and then the Friday could be a moderate intensity. So there's different ways, but that would be undulating. Now, the evidence around undulating is not so convincing um, throughout a periodization model, but there are ways in which you can progressively overload. But don't forget that that's the historical model. We can progressively overload with reps in reserve and use of velocity as well. So we don't have to just use weight on the bar. We can reduce the recovery period between the set, or we could increase it, which means we're going to have to lift more weight. Um, we could change the tempo. We could um, overload by increasing or by adding another session, or there's many ways in which you can do it, or you can shift the RPE. So just for moving the reps in reserve. So it just depends how you want to go about it. These are all ways of um, of, of increasing or, or manipulating that load volume. So yeah, I mean you can even you can even manipulate the way in which you do the set. Like for instance, if you're wanting someone to do you know three sets of eight, which is what twenty four repetitions, um, instead of doing three sets of eight, you might get them to do clusters. So you might get them to do um, you know four sets of two reps. You're still doing eight reps for that set but you've just clustered it, which means you're getting a different training response, you're overloading the tissue, you've increased the intensity, um, but you kept the volume the same. So, you know, if you're doing the reach three sets of eight, well, what, what you might want to do is keep them at that eight level, but do some clusters. Like the list just goes on in terms of how you can progressively overload them. Um, there's some really, really nice concepts we're getting into now. Um, and, and I could see a lot of this would be highly, highly applicable to to um, uh, 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 clinicians' caseload, um, I think it just so long as it's, we're using these principles that underpin it all, so understanding the the that having having that specific resistance training goal at any point in time, but understanding that you've only got the one, and and making sure you're manipulating uh, the parameters and monitoring it, so we've got this objective data, which all of this is um, really nice way to do, um, as opposed to that. Yeah, percentage or estimated one RM, mm -hmm. uh, which you, you touched on last uh, podcast. That, that's fascinating, uh, Dawson. Is there anything you'd like to explore further with periodization? No, I think that's probably the basics. 
yeah, yeah, the basics. I like that. Yeah, the basics. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I've definitely learned a lot there. Um, Dawson, thank you very much for joining us again. Really appreciate your time, um, and we'll have to get you on again soon. No worries. Thanks a lot. Cheers.